listening to the God Notes Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Lee, and as always, I hope you are having a great day. I really don't know why I try to introduce these podcasts in a somewhat different way every single time. I think it's because I feel like they're going to get boring if you say the same thing over and over again, even though I feel like that's what most podcasts do is they just have the same generic intro for episode after episode. Maybe that's good. Maybe that's bad. I don't really know, but there's just something that makes me want to introduce this thing a different way every single time, which brings me to what I think is going to be a slight change in what this podcast is moving forward. Now that we're changing what we do in this podcast, of course, the God Notes podcast is where I come every week and just try to share the things that God has put on my heart to talk about with you. Now, in times past, that has meant that I was just going to share anything and everything that God gave me, every note that God gave me that week, every little quib that God gave me, I was going to try to put all of them into one podcast episode. But the last few weeks, we've not been able to do that because we've gotten close to that hour mark after just reading a few of the notes. And so we're actually kind of behind right now. But I don't see that as a bad thing. That, in fact, allows me to maybe even get ahead in some aspects of episodes of the podcast. But moving forward, what I think we're going to do is discuss four, maybe five topics, depending on time, in every episode of the podcast. And I'm even going to let you know those episodes before we get into those four, or let you know those topics before we get into them in each and every episode. As for the time being, I think that's what we're going to do with the podcast. I think that makes the most sense. That way we don't have to try and... I don't even know what I'm trying to say now. Why we don't have to try to fill an hour or why I'm not like running through a bunch of different things, but we can just focus on four little notes that God has given me, elaborate on them a little bit, and share with you what God has put on my heart. We'll roll with that and see how it goes. And if we like it, we like it. And if we don't, it's a podcast. And we can change it in the very next episode. But this week, we're going to talk about the approval of man, harnessing misplaced zeal, was Saul a mistake of God, as well as finishing up with the right response to conversion. So let's just hop right into the first note, the approval of man. I actually put a Bible verse at the beginning of this note to help us set the scene for what God was showing me as I read through this chapter and verse recently. It's Galatians verse, or sorry, Galatians chapter 1, verse number 10, which says, For, I, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. Many who profess to be Christians today have flipped this verse, putting more focus on pleasing man than pleasing God. This is why we have false doctrine that compromises the Bible and affirms acts that God condemns. The true servant of Christ, like the Apostle Paul who penned the aforementioned verse, is willing to proclaim the truth of God despite what anyone else may think or say. Because it is because it is holding to the fullness of truth that pleases God. Not to mention that it is biblical truth that is able to set people free from their sins. A lie of confirmation does not have the power to free anyone. Our goal as Christians should not be to purposefully offend anyone, but neither should it be to edit God's word to please them. Instead, we must hold to the truths God delivered directly to us in his word, sharing them with everyone we can in a spirit of love, kindness, and humility. I really love this verse from the Apostle Paul. 
because he tells us so much in it. And I believe I helped to elaborate on it a little bit, but I just want to talk about it a little bit more outside of what I wrote there. Because he says, I'm not trying to please men. I'm not trying to make other men happy. My goal in life is not to please others, but is to please God. Now, we know that Paul's other goal in life was to lead other people to the cross. But he did that without trying to please them because there was no way that he could please them and lead them to the cross. The only way that he could please God was to preach truth. And the only way he could lead people to the cross was also to preach truth. And sometimes that truth was the message that they didn't want to hear, but it was the message that they needed to hear. And it's the same thing in our world today. We don't need to lull other people into a place of complacency, but we need to make them aware of their sin and aware of where that sin goes or where that sin will take them. If we have a cure, no one takes medicine without knowing what the medicine cures. We have the cure to death, hell, and the grave. But shouldn't we also tell people what that cure does and how it helps them and why they are sick and what it is that is causing their sickness? I believe that that is our just duty as Christians, is to warn people, to tell them that they are on the road to sin. And I'm not just talking about the ones that get the most attention. But even if we take greed, envy, pride, lust, anger, these are sins that are also leading people in our society to hell that have yet to come to Jesus, that have yet to repent, and have yet to give their life to Christ. And we shouldn't be trying to lull them and tell them that it's okay for them to be the way that they are and that God loves them the way that they are. It's very true that God loves said people. However, God's love is not a replacement for salvation. Salvation comes through faith alone in Christ. And in order to have that faith, in order to act in that faith, in order to receive salvation, we must act in repentance. We must turn away from our old ways and turn unto Christ. But the only way that anyone's ever going to know or see their need to turn away from their past sins, to turn away from the lifestyle they've been living, is if we are not ashamed of the gospel, not afraid to share the truth, but are willing to take that truth to anyone and everyone we can, but remembering to do it in that kind and gentle way that I mentioned at the end. We don't need to come out as bigots and hateful and mean, telling people that they're awful and wicked, but telling them what the Bible says, that sin leads to hell, that they are in a lifestyle of sin, and admitting that we once too lived very similar lifestyles. We may not have struggled with the same sins, but the Bible makes it very clear that all men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have all had our struggles, we have all had our shortcomings, and we have all had that that has led us away from Christ. And praise God that somebody wasn't looking to keep us happy or to lull us into a sense of complacency, but was willing to share the truth with us that set us free from those things, that gave us a better life on earth, and provided us an eternal future tomorrow. I think it's a great blessing in my life that there were men and women who were willing to be honest and open with me and weren't concerned about how I would feel about the truth, but were concerned with the fact that I needed to hear the truth. Yes, the truth is not what our world wants to hear. And we can cultivate a message that causes our world to be happy, that draws them in, that makes them feel included and special and good and perfect, but the truth is, is we're not good, we're not special, and we're not perfect. We all have issues, we all have shortcomings, and we're all equally 
eligible for salvation in the kingdom of God if we are willing to accept the truth of the Bible, to turn away from our sinful lifestyles, and accept Jesus Christ. That is how we receive salvation. I wrote uh, and recently in uh, the last episode, actually yesterday's episode, which for you guys would be two days ago, of the More God, Less Me podcast, saying that God doesn't give us multiple paths and multiple answers to look for what un- what makes sense to us, for what we understand. And I think that is so true. What we need to understand is that there is one way to salvation, and it may not make sense to us. It may not make sense why God requires this, why he doesn't allow that, why he says this, why he says that. What we need to understand is that whether we can understand God or not, we should trust in God because God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And we can trust that God knows the better way and that God knows the only way to salvation. We don't know a better way, so we can't try to think that we do or that somebody else does. But we must trust the inspired word of God that tells us how we can make it to heaven. Praise God. Praise God that he has given us a way, that he has given us complete instructions that we don't have to guess about it that we don't have to make our best guess, that we don't have to live this life living to the best of what we think and then getting to heaven only to find out that we're not eligible. Praise God that he has given us clear and concise instructions within his word that make it abundantly clear what makes one eligible for salvation and what keeps one from the gates of heaven. But we must make sure that we take that truth to as many people as possible without trying to gain the approval of men, without trying to make them happy and content in their sins, but being glad and thankful that God has given us a truth and we can deliver it to those people with the best of our abilities. Moving right along, we've got harnessing misplaced zeal. In my recent studies on the call of Moses, it has become very clear to me that when God makes a great effort to call someone, it's because they have something no one else has. In the case of Moses, it is clear that out of all the Hebrews in his time, he was the only one capable of leading them to the promised land due to his extreme humility and great reverence towards God. Recognize this has caused me to examine others who God called to see what it was that caused God to call them. As I began to read through Galatians in my study this morning, I read where Paul says that he was far ahead of his fellow Jews in his zeal for the traditions of his ancestors. Really, it could be said that Paul was one of the most, if not the most, zealous believers to ever live. It is his extreme level of zeal that caused God to place such a powerful call on his life. His passion for God drove him to keep pushing forward in the gospel even when the circumstances were most bleak. But before his experience with God on the road to Damascus, Paul's zeal was misplaced. Instead of zealously proclaiming the message of Christ, he was zealously trying to destroy the early church. The zeal that would eventually lead countless souls to their Savior was there, but it was being directed in the wrong way because he had yet to encounter Christ. But when that encounter... To play, took place and his zeal was redirected towards the gospel, he was able to do great things for the faith. I believe there are people who are living today with great amounts of passion and zeal that is misplaced, who are still trying to tear down the church or are even just overly pushing things forward that will one day fade away. They are evangelists for cars, food, fashion, real estate, beauty, ideologies that don't line up with the Bible, and so much more. They, These are people... There are people in our world that are passionate about things that will never produce lasting fruit. But if they could be brought into a relationship with Christ, that same zeal that is currently meaningless could be given great meaning. They could be the greatest evangelists, missionaries, preachers, or just blessed soul winners in their community. Because they have zeal, but that zeal is currently 
misplaced. What's sad is that it is those who have the most zeal that are often the most avoided by the church, because passion can be intimidating, especially when that passion is in opposition to our faith. It's easy to believe that such people are so deeply rooted in their beliefs, projects, and activities that they could never be saved. I believe that early the early church would have had this same view of Paul, the man who made it his goal to persecute believers. He was an intimidating force, and understandably no Christians were trying to evangelize him, which is why God had to move that day on the road to Damascus. God will still work in the life of unbelievers today and attempt to open their eyes to him, but I believe we should still make a point to reach those we see with great zeal for what we what they believe that is sadly misplaced. As intimidating as it can be, we should make every effort to win such people to the faith, because like Paul, there is no telling what they could produce if their zeal was focused in the right place. I... I don't know how I missed that sort of mindset for so long, but the truth is if we look around in our world, the people who are known for, for promoting certain things, for being interested in certain things, and for pushing certain things, we cannot deny that they have a great zeal and a great passion for what they believe is right and for what they believe is re uh, best. People write books. They do all these things. They try to win people to their viewpoint because they believe what they know is best, and they believe that because they have no knowledge of God, because they don't know Him, because they haven't experienced the fullness of truth, because they have not received the gift of the Holy Ghost. That is why people are passionate about what they believe, is because they believe it is the right answer, they believe it is the best answer. But as Christians, we know that their logic and their understanding is flawed, because they are trying to use the understanding of a man, they are trying to use their own understanding to explain things in this world, to put the best ideas that they have forward. When God has given us his word, he has told us what is wisdom and what is foolishness, what is arrogance and pride and what is just simply humility. We know what the right answers are and what the truth is. The Bible says that God changes our understanding. He changes our mind. And that's why as we grow in our faith, our beliefs begin to grow and they differ vastly from the world because we share a different mind than they share. And so when we can transform somebody who is passionate, who is outspoken, who has that personality to push something forward to its max and to serve it to their best of their ability, if we could find those people in our communities, in our world, in our lives, and we could inspire them and lead them to salvation, there's no telling the work that they could do for Christ. I truly believe that if God is able to use something for its best, then the enemy will use it for its worst. And so the advocates we see in this world today pushing the worst things are being used as tools of the enemy. They have given their lives to wickedness and self-pleasure. And if they could only come to experience God and God could use them, they would become the greatest assets in winning this world to Christ because they could be used for their best. They have so much ability that God could use, but right now it's being misused by the enemy, just like Paul was misused by the enemy. Paul had great things that, that could be used for good or for evil. He had giftings and talents. He had intelligence, and it was either going to be used for evil or for good. And when he was living in the world as an unbeliever in Christ, he was being used for evil to persecute the church. But when God got his hands on Paul, everything shifted and Paul was used for a great benefit. 
I think so often we look at these people who are so loudly outspoken about things that are not true, that are false, that are what we would consider as Christians to be lies, to be evil, to be wicked, and we think there's no way that they could be turned because they are so passionate about these things. They are so outspoken about their beliefs that contradict the Bible that there's no way they could ever be saved. But I don't see in the Bible where we see that. Instead, we see people like Paul, who refers to himself as the chief among sinners. In his time, no one would have thought he was able to be saved, but yet he was. And then God took all that he had already been doing, and he put it in the right veins. If only we could win the outspoken celebrities. If we could only win these people who are so zealous and so pushing their ideologies in this world today, there's no telling what we could do. If we could win people on Instagram... These people who have cultivated a following based on fruitless endeavors, if we could only take them and have them utilize their giftings and their talents for the Holy Ghost, I, I think that we can see clearly in our world that Christians are not the only ones that have giftings, that only are not the only ones that have talent. It's very evident that there are people all in our society and all in our world that are very talented and gifted individuals. But they're just using those giftings and talented talents to do all that they know to do, which is to live a worldly, sinful lifestyle. They don't know the God of the Bible. But if they could get to know God, then they could use those talents for so much better work. But there's only one way that said people are going to get to know God. Well, of course, there could be a massive transformation in their life. There was that... Um, that new that young guy who blew up recently on the internet that did a that song uh, Richmond North of Richmond. It's not a. There's obviously things that I would agree with in that song, but I don't agree with his use of language in that song. So, I don't condone the song. However, he is a young person in the faith. He's a young believer. I don't know what his understanding of the gospel is. I don't believe he has the fullness of truth. But from what I understand, he had a conversion. And it's when he cried out to God, asking God if he was real. And these things happen on a regular basis. I've heard many a testimony of people who have done the very same thing. And what we learn from this is that God is willing to save people. But God has called us to make disciples. And we shouldn't just shoot for the easy targets and the easy fruit. Instead, we should go for these people who seem most difficult, who seem like it would be a hard win, who seem so outspoken against us, because there's no telling, again, what they could do for Christ if, they only knew him. I truly believe that. You have to look at your own life and think, what was I doing before? What did I promote before? What was I interested in before? And how has it changed since I became to know Christ? And do I promote that to the same level? And often, a lot of times, that is yes. And if it's not, then we should reevaluate how we are living and how we are living our lives. But that's not what this is about. We need to harness the misplaced zeal that is in our world today. First and foremost, because we shouldn't want to see anybody live in their sins not have joy, peace, and hope everlasting, and also not have salvation and not have eternal security as we have. We are blessed beyond measure to have the eternal security that we have, to know what happens when we die. We don't have to question it. We don't have to know it. And we should want all people to have that same security to receive salvation. That is what we should want for all people. But in the back of our minds, we should be thinking and knowing that we never know what that person could produce but I'm imagining that they could produce great fruit and do marvelous work and win more and more people, and that net would grow wider and wider of all those that have been caught for Christ. 
but we need to harness that misplaced zeal. There are so many people in our world today that are passionate about things that are of little to no consequence. But if only we could get them passionate about the Lord, if we could place their zeal in what really matters, there's no telling what they would be able to do. But it really starts with us as Christians making the effort to reach out to such people and to be a blessing to them. Next up we have, was Saul a mistake by God? I don't know how this is fully fledged out of my notes as some of the other notes that we have, but I came across something while I was studying recently, actually for one of the More God, Less Me podcast episodes recently, where I talk about people who questioned their calling. And, you know, I talked about Moses and Gideon, but also King Saul was among that list. He was among one of those who said, God, how could I be the leader of these people? I'm just a lowly person. I'm just from this one tribe, and I'm I'm not anything, God. How can I be a leader? And we see God call him and say, no, I want you to lead my people. But Saul, as we know, does not last as the leader of Israel because he turns to wickedness. As he's waiting to go into battle, he's waiting for Samuel to come and to give the offering. But in the waiting... He gets impatient, and he offers the animals himself, which would have been against God's law. And as such, he is cut off as the king of Israel. Now, what we have to ask ourselves was, was God wrong? Did God make a mistake in choosing Saul? And I don't believe that's the case. It can seem like that on the surface when we first think about the issue, but when we really look at what was happening in that time, I don't believe what we see is a mistake from God. Instead, we see God being very purposeful and preparing things for later down the line. Because the reason Saul was a made anointed king is because the Israelites decided they didn't want to have God as their king. They wanted to be a, like all the other nations and have a physical king a king who would lead them into battle. They wanted to look like the world. And that meant having a king. And they weren't happy to just have God as their king. And so God made a way for that to happen by appointing Saul as the king. And Saul was the vision of a king. He was a tall, striking man. He was somebody that the people expected would be the leader. But... I believe that God was preparing them for the leader they actually needed who wouldn't look as much like a leader. Because the king that followed Saul was King David, who was a smaller man. The Bible says it was ruddy. He just looked childlike. But he was the king they needed. The king they wanted was Saul, the man who looked tough, who would lead them into a victorious battle, who would look the part of a tong, a, 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 tong, a strong king, Somebody who was commanding, who had a presence that would captivate people, who they wanted to follow and wanted to listen. But God was preparing them for somebody else. And God also wanted to make it clear from the get-go, I believe, of the failures of a king. Because he warns them in the beginning that a king will take this and take that, take their possessions, take their food, take their children, take their daughters. He would take all that they have, a portion of it, to himself. For his own purposes. And that's exactly what Saul did. So God wanted to prove that man was infallible with his first choice, I do believe. And he gave them a king that wouldn't be the best king. And he wouldn't fit in the best situation. And because he failed, they were prepared for whatever came next from God. 
who was who they needed, which was David, who was a man after God's own heart. And yes, David was a tough man. He won many battles. He took, uh, you know, he would take massive victories in battle. They began to say that uh, Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands was the song that they sang that really upset King Saul. But again, he didn't look like the ruler of the other nations. He wasn't the big, intimidating, tough guy. But he had God with him. He was a man after God's own heart, and God gave him the victories that he needed, and God appointed him to the role of leadership instead of Saul. But it would be easy, like I said, to think that Saul was a mistake by God. But God doesn't make mistakes. God has a purpose and a plan in all that he does. And so he promoted somebody who wasn't going to actually be the best fit for the job because that is what was needed at that time to accomplish his purpose and his plan. I just think that's so amazing how you can look at something that seems like it could have been a mistake by God, like God chose the wrong person for the job, that, the, that Saul shouldn't have ever been chosen by God. But had Saul not been chosen, then all that took place after that would not have happened and we would not have the lineage that we have following thereafter. We, maybe David wouldn't even have been king had not Saul first been king and then the following events transpired. It's just amazing to know that in any circumstance, in any way, that God has a purpose and a plan for it and that he is able to overcome any situation through his will and make anything possible. I just think that's so amazing. It really blows my mind to how we can look at things that don't make sense and they do have a purpose and an understanding that we can see that God has a plan, even if that plan seems to contradict what you would imagine that he's trying to do. I really am impressed by that, that God could put somebody in a position of leadership, not because he really wanted them, but because he wanted to prepare the people for who he really wanted to be king. Because I don't believe if David had been at that young age that David would have been at that time when the people asked for a king, that if David had been the one that God had anointed, that the people would have stood with him. I believe that they may have even rejected him or tried to leave. But because of all they experienced through Saul and through David serving under Saul, they saw that God was with David and they wanted David to be their king, irregardless of how he looked, not about age, but it was about what God wanted and God desired. I just think that's an amazing thing to think about, that God had that kind of plan and purpose in his mind from the beginning, just like all he has is a plan and a purpose for all of us right now. A lot of people struggle to understand why God put the tree in the garden, why God allowed Adam and Eve to sin, why we are in this world that we're in today. But everything we see and everything we know would not exist the way that it does today if it wasn't for that. But God had a plan and a purpose in it, knowing what would transpire, because this is the best outcome he could imagine for his people, for whatever reason. And we may not be able to understand it. But it's amazing to know that God has a reason for it, just like he had a reason for everything he did at that point in time when he, when he appointed Saul over, as king over Israel. And it may seem at first on the surface like it wasn't the right choice, but God always makes the right choices, and his plan always comes to fruition. And he'll do things that we can't understand, but it's a great blessing that he does. And we can trust that he knows what is best, and he's going to put everything in the best situations. As Romans 8.28 says, God works all things to the good of those who believe and are called according to his purpose. Well, if we believe God, if we love God, then we can believe that things are going to work out for the good. And definitely in the case of David, they worked out for the good. And that worked to the good for all of us because it's from David's lineage 
that Jesus Christ was born. And that's a great blessing that seems to have started from what seems like a mistake. And this brings us to the final topic that we're going to discuss in this episode of the God Notes podcast. And it really ties in with our one two times ago about harnessing misplaced zeal because it's talking about the right response to conversion. And I really want to tie those two together because it's those same people like Paul that often people struggle to accept when they convert, when they come to faith. And so we need to tie these two things together. So just think about that, about harnessing misplaced zeal, about pulling people in because of their abilities and everything they can and not worrying because they seem so bad and so turned towards wickedness, but understanding that God can take that same energy and passion and turn it to the things of good as we go through this. So I wrote, I see a lot of Christian, and I put that in air quotes because sometimes their actions make it clear that maybe they're not the most Christian individuals. I see a lot of Christian YouTubers who choose to call out celebrities who come to faith in in Christ. They make a point to call out their conversion and to sow seeds of doubt into the minds of other Christians about the sincerity of a person they have never met. Is that really how we as Christians are supposed to treat new believers? No. Instead, we should look to support and help those young in the faith grow into a deeper and true relationship with Christ. The way many judge those who are young in the faith would be akin to judging a toddler because they don't know how to pronounce words properly or because they haven't perfected their balance yet. It's wrong to judge them in this way because they are still learning and growing. Instead, we make a point to teach them the right pronunciation of words and help them back up when they fall. That being the case, why do we struggle so much to extend the same grace and to those who are young in the faith? Because we don't see them as they truly are, spiritual babies who need those more mature in the faith to help them grow into mature believers. A young Christian, just like a young child, is not yet what they will one day be. Judging new Christians and questioning the legitimacy of their conversion will not help them grow in the faith. In reality, it will not push them further. It will, in reality, it will push them further away from God because they are not accepted by the very people who should be accepting them. I believe these Christian YouTubers fail to realize the impact they could have even on a celebrity's face, because celebrities will watch videos that are directly about them. They are often some of the most insecure people. We really fail to realize how often celebrities are watching what other people are saying about them because they care just as much as any of us would care if somebody was talking about our conversion. So could you imagine where you'd be in your faith right now if shortly after your conversion multiple people began to make YouTube videos for the world to see tearing you apart, showing your image, talking directly about you, showing what you have said about your faith, and trying to dissect it all and tear it apart, almost like the Christian version of TMZ. We want to say we are tough and that our faith is strong enough to keep us, But such an attack from those who are supposed to share your beliefs would be a mighty blow, especially when you are brand new in the faith. The behavior of these YouTubers also promotes the same kind of thinking in the local church, giving other believers the okay to question the legitimacy of every conversion that they witness. What we see today is more Christians questioning than rejoicing when a sinner repents, having the opposite reaction to the angels of heaven. I believe that we see the right response to even the worst person's conversion in Galatians chapter 1, verse 22 through 24, which says, 
and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea, Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Even though Paul had at one time been the strongest force in persecuting the church, these people didn't question his conversion, but praised God because of him. That's how we should respond to conversion. Believing God can save anyone and begin to change them from the inside out. The most recent example I can think of is of where a new believer's faith is questioned online is Kat Von D. She recently began to speak on openly online about her new faith, her newfound faith in Christ, and shared a video of her baptism, which spawned a lot of conversion online, some positive, but a lot negative. People chose to judge and question her faith based on her past. That while it was a dark makes her no less eligible for salvation than the past that any Christian before her lived. God can can and will forgive anyone. To hear anyone proclaim their faith in Christ openly ought to be a time of rejoicing for the church, not a time of judgment. Yes, we should pray for the continued work of Christ in their life, just as we hope they will come to the fullness of truth. I believe that there is more for her to learn. I believe that she may not have the fullness of truth. I believe that she may not be in the most truth-filled church environment. But that doesn't mean that I should question her journey and her walk because at one point I was in that same place, but I praise God because of it because I wouldn't be where I am today if it hadn't been for those times, if it hadn't been for that first, those first steps into the faith. And even though if it may have been slightly misdirected or I may not have understood or known everything that I know today, I'm thankful for it. Can't we find joy and offer thanks to the Lord that a person who was miles from the right path has been led to start the right path? Is not that reason to be glad and to believe they will continue to grow in the faith? Our acceptance and prayers may be just what they need to not fall away. Someone like Kat can reach a whole demographic of people that we may not be able to reach, and isn't that the truth? God has made us all different, and that means that we are all able to reach different people. She has a whole demographic that I would never be able to reach because of the lifestyle that she lived and where she was as a person. She also has a massive following online that is a great tool. She's already shared that baptism photo on or video on her social media. She's been going on podcasts by other Christian influencers and talking about her faith, which we have to believe will have an impact on those who follow her. Because as crazy as it can seem sometimes, people put a massive impact on celebrities on their own life. And what celebrities believe and view can affect them. And so when somebody like her, who has this big following from being on television and what else she's done, I don't know her that well. I've only seen like the commercials and I've heard of her in passing. But to know... That someone who has that kind of following, who is that well-known in a certain community, a certain demographic of people that I know nothing about, to be perfectly honest, except from the outside looking in, to know that she could have an impact on those people and bring revival to a sect that, if I mean, she's kind of that, what you'd call it, goth, emo, you know, tattooed, a different vibe than most all of the church. And it's a lot of people that a lot of Christians would avoid because of their, you know, dark look and their dark things. They, you know, enjoy the macabre and things like that. She had witchcraft books that she says she, I can't remember if she burned them or just threw them away or whatever she did, but she got rid of those books. She was into some weird, dark stuff. But there were a lot of people who were in that weird, dark stuff with her that she is going to be able to expose light on 
that we as the church may have never made a purposeful point to shine our light on before, but she'll have a heart for those people, just like we have a heart for people who were in the same situations that we were once in. She's going to have a heart for those people and want to reach those people in ways that we could never see. So we shouldn't judge her for her past, but we should be thankful that God called somebody out of that lifestyle because they'll have the greatest ability to impact and change the lives of those who are still living that lifestyle. That could be the very reason that God called her. Maybe God's purpose to call her was because she'll have an ability to reach people that many other Christians will not be able to reach. Even Christian parents who her lifestyle and what she portrayed on television has pulled kids away from the faith of their parents. It could be her conversion that causes them to go back to mom and dad to apologize for what they've done and for them to want help to reinvigorate the faith they had as a child. Couldn't that be the very thing that God is trying to do here? God is able to do that because as we talked about earlier, he did it in the life of Paul. He is able to pull people out of situations and use them to have a great impact on others. We can trust God's judgment and his ability to use anyone to accomplish his will. If God is willing to give someone salvation to lead them into furtherance of truth, which I, as I said, I still believe that there is a furtherance of truth that she could come to. But as from my personal experience, I came to something that had partial truth like Apollos. And I needed people to bind to me, like Priscilla and Aquila, and show me a more perfect way, which is what she needs in this moment. She has opened her heart to Christ. She's taken the first steps. And now as faith-filled believers, as apostolics, I believe it's our duty to reach out to people like that who have a taste of faith and a taste of the truth and show them a more perfect way and then allow them to move forward, to go out as evangelists of the gospel and reach people in demographics and in areas that we may have never been able to reach otherwise. God's will is for all people to be saved. And that task starts by seeing the least likely saved and used by a merciful God. We need to have the right response to the conversion of others. Put away the flesh that causes you to want to judge them. Instead, walk in the Spirit, which brings love, joy, and peace. Help the young in the faith just as you would be willing to help a child. They need you as the body of the church, and you need them. We need people like her in our churches, in our circles of faith, because of what they are able to accomplish based on their experiences in their past life. I just think it's so important that we realize these things, that we embrace people who are coming to the faith, that we don't try to push them away or judge them based on their past lives. Praise God that that's not the response that we received when we came to the faith. I am so thankful that I am not and was not a celebrity whenever I came to the faith because I cannot imagine what it would do to me to have people questioning my every decision, everything, and talking about me copiously online before my faith was fully strengthened and fully rooted in Christ. New believers aren't fully rooted. you got to think about how, if you think about we're sowing seed, and we talk about that seed taking root and growing into something, and the Bible talks about a mustard seed is what faith is, and then it grows into the mightiest tree that birds will even nest in. If that is true, 
those roots still take time to really sink into the soil. Often, if you think about a tree planted in your yard, if you go to the the store even, let's say you go to Home Depot and you buy an apple tree, that tree is going to be anywhere between four to six feet tall. But the roots are only maybe going to be a foot long at that time. The root ball is not going to be very big. You're going to see a lot more on the surface before things are deeply planted in the soil. You could plant a tree in your yard this year and next year go pull it out, maybe even by hand, because still those roots have yet to firmly plant into the ground. What I'm trying to say is that we're going to see a lot of things in someone's life that are signs of their faith in Christ, but that doesn't mean that they're fully, firmly planted in the ground, unable to be knocked over, unable to be easily pulled out. So we should be supporting these people, helping them to grow deeper into God. New believers look to the mature in the faith as an example and as a help. That is what we are meant to be. If they need spiritual milk, we should be the ones warming the bottles up, helping these people so that they will grow and eventually get to maturity and get to have solid food and solid meat. It just really hurts me to think that there are so many people in churches today that are questioning the salvation of others instead of rejoicing with the angels. It's not our place to judge. It's not our place to condemn. It's not our place to question the salvation of others. Our role as Christians is to edify the church and is to try to bring other people to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we can do that only by being a blessing to them and rejoicing with them. I really don't see why we'd want to question anybody's salvation. God's going to sort everything out in the end, and we will be able to see based on their fruit whether or not they're living for Christ. But we shouldn't expect to see fruit mere days after they've surrendered their life to Christ. For fruit takes time to bear. It's going to take time for their lives to change. I've heard a funny story, and that's how I think we'll wrap this up, of somebody who who was uh, lived a really worldly lifestyle, and they were baptized in the church, and they came out of the water, and they were so overjoyed, and they received the Holy Spirit speaking in other tongues, and they were so overjoyed that the only way they could think to describe to describe what they were feeling was by using expletives, by using cuss words, shocking so many people. But they hadn't yet learned why that was wrong or why that was bad. All they had learned was how great and glorious God was, and up until that point in their lives, the only way they knew to express that was through such language. It's going to take time for people's lives to change. It's going to take time for them to fully be represented and be an image bearer of Christ. They're not going to instantly come out of the baptismal water a completely new person because we didn't do that. We shouldn't expect other people to do what we didn't ourselves do. Instead, we should trust the process, trust in God, and believe that He knows and has a better way than we could ever understand. God is going to work on their hearts as long as they stay in God. And the best way that we can help them to stay in God is to be a blessing unto them, to be kind, loving, and compassionate, and to not attempt to tear everything down that they've just started to build in their lives. I pray that you'll understand what I'm trying to say here, that you will look at people who convert and not look in a judgmental way, but look at how you can support them and help them on their walk with Christ that they may not fall away. 
I think we have a bigger impact in that than we often realize. When we come to people lovingly and accepting them and trying to teach them Bible studies and trying to help them go deeper in the Word and trying to explain things of the faith and binding with them in their needs, not pushing them away, but drawing them in. We wouldn't put a new child out with wolves. We shouldn't push new believers out with spiritual wolves. But instead, we should hold them close, try to protect them, and try to help them to get their footing underneath them so that way they'll stay in the faith. I hope that you liked this way that we're doing the podcast where I explain what we're doing beforehand. If you want to comment, let me know. I would greatly appreciate that. Uh, I believe that this is going to work out a lot better. But like I said, if if we change our minds later, we can change our minds because this is a podcast and we can change it anytime, any way, any how that we want to. But until I talk to you again, which will probably be Friday, I hope that you guys have a great rest of your week. I pray that you will check out on social media, I pray that you'd share this podcast. I, I ask that you would give it a like, give it a thumbs up, give it a rating, whatever it is on the platform that you're on, because it helps us to grow. It helps us to reach more people. And our goal is to help more and more people develop a closer relationship with Christ. And I pray that you would join us in doing that work. And for you, that just simply means sharing and helping to promote us in whatever way you can. I hope you have a great rest of your week, and God bless.